All right, well, we're feeling pretty relaxed because we're going on holidays tomorrow, so we're doing a um, pretty relaxed style talk today. Happy for it to be quite conversational. Um, so we've had a little break from our current series because last, last week we uh, heard some more wonderful stories of things that God has been doing in people's lives. We, we heard from Dana and from Dave. And, um, you know, we, we really love these stories because they just remind us of what we're all about as a church, that we are all about seeing people come to know Jesus. And Dana shared really the very amazing way that she got connected with our church a year ago and ended up coming to Alpha. You know, she didn't even know what she was coming to and then through that whole process has come to know Jesus. Um, and, you know, th- these are the things that really matter. This is what we love. This is why we gather as a church. This is why we, why we do what we do. Because we just want to see more and more people come to know Jesus and be transformed by his love and by his power. Um, but, you know, as, as you all have, as I'm sure we've all worked out, that's not necessarily an easy thing to do. And in fact, as we seek to do that, as we seek to see people come to know Jesus, we often encounter quite a bit of opposition of various kinds to it. So wonderfully, that's actually what we're, what we're, our story of Nehemiah is, is about this week. That's what's happening in the story. And so we thought, well, it's so relevant actually to what we experience as Christians and even more specifically to what's going on for us as a church community. So Andy's going to give us a little recap of Nehemiah so far. Yeah, if this was like kids' church, I'd be like, now what happened in chapter one? <laughs> there you go. But it's not kids' church. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, you guys know, don't you? So Nehemiah, he was CFO. Life was pretty good uh, in the ruling class of the big bad empire in the region. Um, but then heard from his brothers news that the city that he, you know, his hometown uh, was devastated and still devastated. And he allowed that news, someone else's pain, to really touch his heart. And he didn't just medicate that pain, but actually turned that pain into prayer. Um, and as he prayed, God gave him some serious courage uh, and a call to go back. Uh, to ask the king for resources and then go back and be part of that rebuilding process. So pretty courageous, pretty self-sacrificial. Um, and God obviously met him in that and gave him incredible, incredible favour with the king such that the building program was actually resourced because that was a, undoubtedly a huge obstacle for anyone contemplating the rebuilding of those walls in Jerusalem that how in the world do we get the building materials for it, especially with inflation the way it is. So... Um, but the king resourced that. So he went back with what was in his heart. He walked around the walls, had a really good look at it. And um, I guess I wanted to just call your attention to that verse on the screen there. Um, can we read it together? Can you, can you see it enough to read it together? Let's have a go. One, two, three. We will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. We will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. 
Yeah, so as I was reading that today, there was one word that stuck out to me, and that was the word devastated. So it's, it's repeated there. Long devastated, devastated. And so that was the state of Jerusalem when Nehemiah came back to it. Devastated. Long devastated. And we know that Nehemiah had a really, really good look at those walls, recognised how devastated they were, but didn't stop in light of that devastation. But actually, well, I'm here, called, and then spoke to the people, rallied the people and said, hey, God's doing this. God's been at work. God will continue to be at work. Let's do this. And the people amazingly responded with a yes. Now, those, those people that had lived with the long devastated walls for a long time, and for a long time had decided not too hard not touching it. But something in what he shared changed their hearts and God mobilised the people through Nehemiah to get, get to it. That was what we looked at. And then chapter 3 is actually the story of how they get to it. They, and it's kind of fascinating if you read it. Uh, I mean, it's one of those, you, you do bump into these bits in the Bible, right? Those long name lists and you go, oh, skip. <laughs> What? But if you read in the detail of all the names and everything, you find, and this section of the ball was built by the perfume makers. Interesting. And well, this section was built by so-and-so and his daughters. Yeah, and this, this section was built by the goldsmiths because that's what they do all the time. Like the perfume makers and the goldsmiths aren't the people hanging doors and building walls, right? But it's just a picture of everyone pitched in. And it wasn't like, oh, look, I'm a goldsmith and I do walls. So no, 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 this just work... And, 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 we, and, and we, you can see, obviously, that in terms of how people view ministry or doing churchy stuff. It's like, yeah, no, 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 that's for those people, but not me, because I'm, I'm not one of those people. But this story just upends all that. It's like the task is so big, the devastation is so great that it's, it's all hands. Everyone's needed for the rebuilding. So then we get to chapter four, which is what we're going to read today. When Sanballat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became angry and was greatly incensed. He ridiculed the Jews. And in the presence of his associates and the army of Samaria, he said, what are those feeble Jews doing? Will they restore their wall? Will they offer sacrifices? Will they finish in a day? Can they bring the stones back to life from those heaps of rubble burned as they are? Tobiah the Ammonite, who was at his side, said, What are they building? Even a fox climbing up on it could break down their wall of stones. And then Nehemiah responds, Hear us, O God, our God, for we are despised. Turn their insults back on their own heads. Give them over as plunder in a land of captivity. Do not cover up their guilt or blot out their sins from your sight, for they have thrown insults in the face of the builders. So we rebuilt the wall till all of it reached half its height, for the people worked with all their heart. But when Sanballat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites and the people of Ashdod heard that the repairs to Jerusalem's walls had gone ahead and that the gaps were being closed, they were very angry. They all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and stir up trouble against it. But we prayed to our God and posted a guard day and night to meet this threat. 
Meanwhile, the people in Judah said, The strength of the labourers is giving out, and there is so much rubble that we cannot rebuild the wall. Also, our enemies said, Before they know it or see us, we will be right there among them and will kill them and put an end to the work. Then the Jews who lived near them came and told us ten times over, Wherever you turn, they will attack us. Therefore, I stationed some of the people behind the lowest points of the wall at the exposed places, posting them by families with their swords, spears and bows. After I looked looked things over, I stood up and said to the nobles, the officials and the rest of the people, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives and your homes. When our enemies heard that we were aware of their plot and that God had frustrated it, we all returned to the wall, each to our own work. From that day on, half of my men did the work, while the other half were equipped with spears, shields, bows and armour. The officers posted themselves behind all the people of Judah who were building the wall. Those who carried materials did their work with one hand and held a weapon in the other, and each of the builders wore his sword at his side as he worked. But the man who sounded the trumpet stayed with me. Then I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is extensive and spread out, and we are widely separated from each other along the wall. Wherever you hear the sound of the trumpet, join us there. Our God will fight for us. So we continued the work with half the men holding spears from the first light of dawn till the stars came out. At that time, I also said to the people, have every man and his helper stay inside Jerusalem at night so they can serve us as guards by night and as workers by day. Neither I nor my brothers nor my men nor the guards with me took off our clothes. Each had his weapon, even when he went for water. So things have been going well. Um, You know, they've done this amazing, amazing work of, of building the wall. But then opposition comes. And I think in this story we see two different kinds of opposition. The first one is mockery and ridicule. You know, what are those feeble Jews doing? They'll never finish it. Um, and, and the point of that mockery was to try to get the, the people to give up. Like, that was the point of it. So that they would choose of their own accord, oh, yeah, this, this really is a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Let's, let's just give up and not do this. Yeah, I think, I think at that point, like, it's like I called you know, your attention to that word devastated. I think it's, it's worth remembering in this story and right across the board that that devastation helps someone else, like that benefits someone else. And so the people that are, the people that are upset in this story are benefiting from the devastation of Israel. So Sanballat, like the guy Sandbag, if you want to call him that, or whatever, Sanballat, he's the head of Samaria, um, which is an alternative capital to Jerusalem. So when Israel split into two kingdoms, Jerusalem was the capital of, the, of Judah, and then Samaria was capital of Israel. So, and you can make, and you can see Sambalat, and he's making comments about, are they going to do sacrifices here? I, I, I suspect that the center of worship had probably shifted to Samaria. So he'd become kind of the, Samaria kind of moved up in the pecking order of cities. Like, this is working very nice for us. Thanks very much. We like being the capital. We like being the place that people come. Um, I like 
that esteem. And then uh uh-uh, if Jerusalem comes back up, that means I lose my prestige, my power. Um, So I've been benefiting from the devastation. Um, And that's, that's true. On a whole bunch of levels, which I won't go into now. But if you think about the devastation in different places, there's always someone benefiting from it. And it's really interesting to think about who that is, because that helps you understand the intimidation and why it's there and how to stand against it potentially as well. Yeah. Yeah. So they experience this mockery and this ridicule, and uh, they they take that to God, and they say, "Hear us, O God, for they've insulted us." Um, and they've sought to discourage the people. But it doesn't stop the work. And they keep going. And it says that they actually get to, to half the height. And so then the opposition takes a nastier turn and actually becomes intimidation and threat of violence. You know, if they couldn't get the people to quit themselves, they're actually like, well, we're going to come in and make you quit. We're going to come and make you stop. And I think at that point, and, and I think we all experience this any time we face any kind of opposition, the question that comes up is, well, is it worth it? Is it worth going on with this when I'm being mocked? Is it worth it when there's a potential huge cost to me doing this? And I think you know, a good thing to note is that opposition only comes to things that matter. If they had just all gone to Jerusalem and were, I don't know, painting the stones blue, no one would have, no one would have opposed them in that or bothered them about that. But it's because they were actually doing something important. That's why opposition came. They were actually doing something that really mattered. Um, and, and so for those people, I think that for the Jewish people, the temptation for them would have been to go, oh, oh okay, actually, let's just sort of keep our heads down and, and keep ourselves safe. But the reality is that they weren't safe. You know, with the wall broken down, they were not safe at all and they could be attacked at any time. And, you know, so I think a big lie that often comes when we face opposition is, well, if you just back off and stop being so full on or stop, you know, trying to do that, the opposition will ease off as well. Um, If you just keep your head down and sort of stay out of trouble, uh, you won't be opposed. That's actually not true. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm across the notes. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, yeah, it's interesting if you look at Jesus' ministry, uh, one of the ways that I think John sums up Jesus' ministry is he, he came to destroy the works of the enemy. You know, which is, that's an interesting way of summing it up. Um, but he, he, has a, he had a direct opponent, right? Direct opposition. And, and that was that the enemy is just benefiting from the devastation of people's lives, right? And so when we step into a place where we go, actually, no, 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 we want to be rebuilders. We want to be with Jesus in his ministry, which is to free people from the oppression of the devil, heal, restore, all of the stuff that was described last week, all that beautiful process. If we want to be about that, then that will be really opposed. Um, 
I don't know what opposition, like what that intimidation feels like for you um, in your week, uh, in your workplace, in your family. I don't, I don't know what it feels like for you. Um, this week I had, uh, I had a leadership retreat with my other job, which was lovely. Went to the Mornington Peninsula, lots of lovely strategic planning, etc. There's one other person on that leadership team who probably shares what my faith would, would, would be. The other people, not so much. Um, Travelling back in the car to the airport, I was with two of the other guys, both very, very smart, you know, accomplished people. And uh, one of the guys starts asking the other guy about his story, just... Oh, where'd you start? Da 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 da. And he goes into the story. It's an hour and a half to the airport. We have time, right? So it's one of those. It's not, it's a, it's a longer conversation, and the conversation continues to track. And I'm in the back, going, oh, I know where this is going. I've been in this sort of car before, you know. And so he does his story, and then Andrew, what what's that thing about Kazakhstan? You've talked about Kazakhstan. What? How did you end up in Kazakhstan? And it's one of those moments like, um, <coughs> there is no way of telling that story that is in any way honest <laughs> without including God. So I just said, well, you know, when I was 16, um, I had this experience of God. And uh, that changed my life. Um, and then out of that, I got at the same time called me to Kazakhstan. Um, now, I was in the back seat, and one of the guys was driving, the other one, anyway, it was kind of, probably helped, actually. <laughs> Couldn't see the facial expressions. But then just, then just went on, and I, I just kept telling the story. And then this happened, and then God did this, and then this happened, and then God did this, and then this happened, and God did this. Um, but while I was telling that story, my goodness, I felt like a fool. Oh my gosh. Felt like an absolute loony. Felt very intimidated. <laughs> these, these guys are lovely guys, like really. But just that, how contrary to their worldview, all of that is, right, made it um, feel very, very difficult. Um, and at the end of telling probably, I don't know, half an hour of stor- story or something, it's like, wow, well, you told that, shared that story very well. Okay, thank you. <laughs> we have a lot of things in common, da 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 da, and some things where we don't have in common. You know, that was kind of that was kind of the polite reflection on the story. But it's interesting, isn't it? You know, like that, like, and I, again, I don't know what that looks like in your week or in your place. Where where are those moments of ah? Uh, I could share or I could not. Um, for me at that point, it was incredible how real the intimidation felt. Like it did not feel artificial at all. I actually felt very opposed and that certainly wasn't coming from them. Let's put it that way. Like they were not throwing rocks at me or mocking me or anything. They were anything but, they were just wonderfully polite, you know. But I felt that in- intimidation. And I think that, that intimidation probably 
related to struggles for me internally in terms of wanting to please them, all that kind of struggle. But I think it was also part of that spiritual battle that we're in, right? Mm. Um, and even, even when I came home, um, having had that conversation, I was still sort of, I still just debriefed with Sarah. I was like, that was really hard. That was really hard. But was it a value? Probably. Yeah, probably. Mm. Well, I think that sort of highlights what one of the differences for us is. So in this story, that intimidation and the opposition they were facing, it was very, it was very out there, right? It was people's words, it was people's actions, it was physical threat. But I think for us, the, the, um, you know, the opposition that we face is much more subtle and, and mm. hidden. And sometimes it comes through people, but often it's just literally internal. And it's just what we're thinking and what we're feeling. Mm. And, you know, I was thinking about the Apostle Paul and how he, you know, he was really treated badly by people um, in response to his faith and how he tried to share the gospel. You know, he was mocked, he was beaten, he was defamed, he was flogged, he was put in jail, uh, people came and you know, false teachers came and tried to undo and destroy the churches that he'd planted. Um, people tried to murder him. There were riots because of him. And yet after all of that, he writes in Ephesians, our battle is not against flesh and blood. It's not actually against people. Our battle is against um, the spiritual forces of, of evil, against mm. Satan and all his demons and, and the powers in this world that are coming against us. And so I think for us, we, it, but, but in our society too, I mean, Satan is still very hidden and kind of very sneaky in the way he does things. And so it's often just that we feel despairing or we feel foolish, like what Andy's describing. Like there was actually nothing in the way those guys were relating to him that should have made him feel foolish. No. And yet that's what he felt. And so the battleground for us, it's often internal. And it comes, yeah, it comes in the form of... Um, of despair, it comes in the form of uh, just exhaustion or feeling like, oh, it just it doesn't matter, it's too hard. Um, but that's actually the battleground and that's where we have to fight. Because the tension, just like for those people, of is it worth it? Do, I, do we keep going in spite of opposition? It's the same question for us. You know, do we keep seeking to share Jesus with people? Do we keep seeking to love people in his name and to represent him? to the people around us, even though it feels, it feels really hard or we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid we might ruin a relationship if we, if we do that. We're afraid of what people will think. And I think we face that same lie that actually if we just kind of pull back and just sort of live a quiet life and just, you know, let other people get on with their business and get on with our own business, that that will somehow be a safer way to live. But actually, you know, the New Testament tells us that, that the devil is out to destroy all of our lives. Um, it says he prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. And that's not something we need to be afraid of. It's just a reality. Um, and there's no, there's no avoiding that. There's no, well, if I just don't, I don't try to make too many waves for the kingdom of God, that I'll be safer. You actually, you won't be. So you might as well fight back. Um, and I think it's, we can learn a lot about, about how to respond to opposition from, uh, from what happened in Nehemiah. 
you know, the first thing was that they didn't lose sight of the why. They didn't lose sight of what they were actually trying to do and the big picture of, of, what, um, of what they were doing and why it was so important to rebuild those walls. And I think, yeah, I think, I think that's just on the why thing. Like, it was... Last, last week was awesome, right? Like, it was awesome. And, and I, came, I came back from church. I was like, okay, I need to build an altar or something. You know, you know like in the Old Testament, how when, when Abraham's just touring around and he'll, he'll have... He, it's, it's, there's, there's, long, there's long spaces between drinks, but he has these moments with the Lord. And, then he's, and the Lord will meet him, speak to him about the covenant... He's like, ah, oh, build an altar. So he builds an altar, like a physical thing that marks that encounter with God. Because encounters with God, like they, they can feel like moments. Like we, we, we live in time, right? And it happens and then it passes. But Abraham knew that and he's like, okay, I'm going to put rocks here or I'm going to put a big tree here, something to go remember to remember to remember. This happened. This happened in time and space. God worked here. And, uh, and, when, and you can see he, over his journey, he wiggles around you know, goes like that, and then, then returns back to those places where he's made those altars. Ah, remember to remember to remember, right? Um, and, and that was one of those things, I think, last, last Sunday. I was like, wow, that, God is doing things here. It can feel like it just washes through, right? Time just washes through. But actually, as a, as a, as a community, we need to mark those things and go, God, this, this, is, this, is, this is what you're doing here. This matters. This counts. And it's contributing to something that is of eternal worth. That's, that's kind of the stakes that Jesus places on, on the value of, of this, right? So, so, yeah, it was... So, yeah, don't lose sight of the why. That's, that's yeah. point one. Uh, the second thing is prayer. You know, like they took their case to God. And if we read in the New Testament about how Paul says we actually fight the spiritual battle, our weapons are the word of God and prayer. And... You know, the Jews in this story, they called them, they said they were feeble. I'm sure they were. They weren't all builders. They weren't all warriors. But God was on their side. And so they trusted God. They went to prayer and they just trusted that he would look after them. And he does. And, you know, the Old Testament, if you, if you sometimes go like, wow, there's so many battle stories in the Old Testament, which there are. The point of all those battles was always, if you trust God and take the risk, because they did actually have to physically go out there and take the risk, God comes through every time. Every time they actually trust God and do what he says and take the risk, they win, even if the odds are completely against them. And I think sometimes we feel like that, that the odds are just so against them, you know, we're so outnumbered, um, there's so few Christians that, well, this task is just so daunting and so impossible. But if we do it with God in faith and in prayer, we can actually see victory. And that's also the really hopeful story from, from Nehemiah, is that this very small group of people set out to obey, to trust God, and God came through and protected them where they would re- their lives were at risk. And not only that, but we'll get to it eventually, but they, they do actually finish the task. I think there's also a beautiful picture in there of how we see them um, fighting and building at the same time. So they've sort of got tools in one hand and a weapon in the other hand, or half of them are fighting and half of them are building. Um, and I think, you know, sometimes we, we can kind of think, oh, well, having to, having to fight, having to, you know, having to pray, that, that seems like a bit of a distraction from, from the work of building the kingdom. 
Um, but I think it's just the reality of being in a, in a war, being in a battle, that you actually have to do both at the same time. Uh, and the other thing that I really noticed from that story is that the people really rallied together. It, every time, any, you know, they were all spread out, they were all, they were small in number, but if one of them was under attack, everyone would come and rally to them and fight for them and work together. And so, you know, I think, as you all know, we're, we're going to run the Alpha course again, in, starting in late October. And I think there's so many parallels between this story of Nehemiah and this, this us running, wanting to run an Alpha course. You know, Nehemiah, they had this task, this goal, this dream. And, you know, the reason that we want to run Alpha is because we want to see a lot of people come to know Jesus. We want to see this church grow, not just for the sake of the church being bigger, but because we want more and more people to come into the kingdom of God and to find forgiveness of sins and eternal life. Like, that, that's what we want. But you can guarantee that Satan is completely opposed to us running Alpha, like completely opposed to it. Um, and so I think there's a lot we can learn from this story about, okay, well, how can we actually be proactive as we prepare for Alpha and be prepared to fight for it. Yeah, I think I think one of the things that annoys me is that it is a battle. Like I'm not I'm not naturally combative. My my choice is not to do that. Um, and and why? Like I'm like why? Why does it have to be intimidation? Can't I just kind of me and Jesus kind of just do our thing? And um, and yet it is. Um, and so so part of this story is 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 telling us clearly that there will always be intimidation. Always. It will always be opposed. Any rebuilding effort will be opposed. Mm. So it's not like, oh, yeah, you can find... Somehow we can discern a really sweet spot where it's not opposed. We can just get about a nice rebuilding and everyone will be happy. No. Mm. <laughs> That's not the case. So, so then we need to normalise intimidation. Right? You go, oh, I feel intimidated internally. Oh, okay. Oh, that's okay. That's normal. Oh, I feel I feel really worn down. I feel mocked. I feel like what we're doing is is only half a wall, and it'll never get beyond that. Of course, I feel that way because there's opposition. Oh, that's okay. You know what I mean? So when you normalise it, then you have to you don't have to. It's oh my gosh, maybe that's true. It's like no, no, <laughs> that's normal intimidation. Let's just get on with the work. Yeah. Right, so that I think we I think we and I think there are days when you're going to have a bad day, and I'm going to have a bad day. I mean. And someone else is not going to have a bad day. And we need to hear from that person who's not having a bad day. He's going, is it going to be okay? Paul, Paul, yeah, Paul, Paul will be like, yeah, it's going to be okay. God's faithful. It's going to be okay. Mm. It's going to be okay. Because guess who won? It's Jesus. And it's all in light of Jesus' victory. So you're not trying to... Nah, 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 nah. He's done it. You're just walking out in that victory. So it's going to be okay. So we need, we need level heads to speak to us, right? At, mm. at those times. And sometimes Paul's going to be like... I feel smashed. <laughs> Where's God? And then May said, no, 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 it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. God's faithful. That's, we, that we need each other, right, in that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, as I, I think as we, as we think about running Alpha and, and preparing to run Alpha, you know, we're probably not going to have a mob of people out in the car park, which is great, right, like wanting to knock the building down or something. But the place where we are going to experience that opposition is going to be internal. You know, we're going to feel like, oh, I'm too tired and too busy to pray. Or, oh, I just, I, 
I don't, I don't think I'll bother to invite that person. It just it feels too hard. I feel like it would put the relationship under too much strain. Or we think about the times that we've tried in the past and we've felt disappointed or things haven't succeeded. You know, the, the battleground, it's all going to be in our minds and in our hearts, really. And so that is the place where we need to overcome and not listen to fear and intimidation and discouragement and despair, but actually come to Jesus, come to the word and let him, let him speak the truth into us. So, you know, this, this Alpha course, I think we've learnt from ones in the past, we have started praying a long way before we even get to Alpha and we're going to pray right up to Alpha and we're going to pray all the way through Alpha. And, you know, it has been so encouraging to see a group of people mm. put up their hands to pray for that. And if anyone else wants to sort of sign up to be part of that prayer team, we just have a WhatsApp group. People just set aside an hour sometime throughout the week. You can break it up into, into little chunks. And... And it's been so encouraging with people sharing the things that God's been showing them or putting on their hearts. And that's how we fight. So we fight, we prepare the ground by praying. And the other thing that we do is we trust God and take risks. We don't just pray and assume that people are going to magically turn up. I mean, we might have some like, like Dana, like that was completely divine intervention, bringing her here last time. Um, but we also we also are going to need to, to step out and take risks. And we will see God come through. We will, absolutely. Uh, the other thing we want to do is we want to work together. So like Andy was saying, we all, we all struggle at times, but that's when we tell other people and we let other people come around us and strengthen us and encourage us and pray for us. And most of all, I think the thing to do is to not lose sight of the why. Like This really matters. People's... people's eternal destiny really matters. People finding Jesus and finding the freedom and the love and the healing that he wants to bring, like nothing matters more than that actually. My busyness and my tiredness don't matter more than that. My fear of what people might think of me don't matter more than that. And we kind of have to keep our focus on that, keep our focus on Jesus. Otherwise, these other threats and oppositions, they, they start to look a lot bigger than they really are. <clears throat> 